Welcome to Mrs. Richardson's podcast number 1505. Today we are talking about part four of the book, The Boys in the Boat. Part four is called Touching the Divine. It includes chapters 13 through 19 and includes the epilogue. Chapter 13. Throughout the Olympic training season, Albrechtson bounced Joe from first to second to third bolt multiple times. Pocock advised Joe that he wouldn't be able to fully harmonize until he opened up his heart to his crew. The next time Joe was promoted up to the first boat, Joe connected with his crew and Albrechtson knew he had found his Olympic team. Chapter 14. At the same time in Germany, Hitler and his Nazi party rolled tanks into the demilitarized Rhineland in open defiance of both the Treaty of Versailles and the Locarno Pact. In Washington, the University of Washington boys finished up their schoolwork and prepared to depart for the regatta in New York. Bobby Mock deliberately allowed the crew to fall five lengths back and in the last 500 meters, the University of Washington pulled ahead and claimed the victory to many people's shock and dismay. Chapter 15. The Olympic trials took place on Lake Carnegie at Princeton University with six teams competing to represent the United States at the upcoming Olympics, Washington, California, Penn, Navy, Princeton, and the New York Athletic Club. In the first trial, the Washington boys qualified for the Olympic Games. The entire state of Washington banded together for fundraising, and in less than 48 hours, a certified check for $5,000 was sent to Albrechtson, and the boys were officially funded to travel. Chapter 16. Chapter 16 discusses the boys' journey from America to Germany aboard the SS Manhattan, as well as the outrageous lengths Hitler and his party went through to whitewash Germany of all negative Nazi practices. Soon after arriving, the boys made their way to Kupnik, Germany, where their training area was located. As soon as the boys began training, they and their coach were horrified to see the effects of their two-week journey without training. They rode terribly, worse than Ulbrichsen, had ever seen. On August 1st, the opening ceremonies were held. Chapter 17. The outer two lanes of the lake were completely exposed to wind and weather and posed a serious handicap to whichever teams were forced to rose there. Ulbrichsen battled with the Olympic Committee to have the racetrack shortened to four lanes, but they refused to hear his complaints. The preliminary races were arranged so that the winning team from each heat automatically qualified for the final, with the losing teams being allowed to race again in a repechage for a chance at the final. On the day of the final race, Don Hume was extremely ill, and Albrechtson made a terrifying decision to pull him from the race. The crew was outraged, and Albrechtson eventually relented and allowed the boys to carry Hume down to the shell house for the Olympic final. Chapter 18 The German and Italian teams, who had been awarded the best lane assignments, took an early lead. In the stands, the audience watched as the American team dropped so far behind that no one thought they could recover. Digging deep for personal strength none of them knew they had, the Americans eventually began to gain ground on their competitors, and in the final 50 meters managed to roll the nose of their ship across the finish line before the German team. Chapter 19 The book ends with a short description of the medal ceremony where Bobby Mock stood tall for the first time in his life to accept gold on behalf of the American rowing team. The epilogue describes the pandemonium of celebration that overtook Washington after the boys' victory in Germany, particularly in Seattle. That is a summary of part four of the book, The Boys in the Boat.